0: People are probably thinking right now, you sent a high school kid a limo for prom at the company? Yeah, because this kid was talented. We wanted him to come back, right? Retention
1: is crucial for most companies to scale and succeed. That said, how much is a healthy retention rate actually worth? How do you even go about finding that out? Let's see if we can shed some light. This is the culture clinic where my co-founder, Skay, and I are constantly learning from HR experts how to build a culture where people love to work. My name is Joe. I'm a co-founder here at Gusto. And today we are joined by Kwesi Thomas, an HR expert in rewards and recognition. Kwesi, let's dive right in. Hey Joe, let's do it. Okay, so today's topic, how much is employee retention really worth? Can you think of a time in your career when a key colleague left your company? And
0: you know what kind of challenge did that create for you? Because I was in a couple of companies that were shrinking uh, for a couple of years, there were many times that we had colleagues leave. Probably most notable in my head, I was working with um, another leader in rewards. And when she had left, uh, I had to pick up the rest of the rewards uh, at that time. And at that time, we were, it wasn't just that she, no, that she was leaving. At the time, the reward, the team was probably 15, 16, 17. And when she left, the team was like nine or eight after stuff, because a lot of people left at the same time as part of a uh, downsizing. And so for me, that was, It wasn't just myself having to expand and pick up work, but everyone who was now on my team also had to pick up and expand and do other work. And so um, managing through the change of work and the change of morale and the change of culture was definitely uh, an experience. So it was challenging. Yeah. So you touched on a few things there. Uh, so it sounds like
1: some key call, a key colleague or some key colleagues leaving impacted
0: your workload. Is that Correct. Yeah. So at the time, we, you know, we were, as a reward seat, we were pretty large and we were downsizing as a company in general. So you know, we, we not only did my colleague or my peer leave, the team that I had inherited, as well as my own team at the time, all got smaller at the same time. So we, a workload grew quite a bit for everyone, including myself.
1: And okay. So, so the workload uh, grew for most people on your team. And then were there some things that just didn't happen anymore because those people...
0: Yeah. No longer with you. Not easy, but yeah, we did have to say no to some things and stop doing some programs at the time. Um, but, you know, that that's probably a lesson learned more than we did that well. The lesson learned was, you know, in such a drastic change, you've got to figure out where to say no and what has to stop. We probably did that well, but we did definitely stop doing some work.
1: So uh, you mentioned morale. I mean, how did losing some of your colleagues
0: impact morale? I mean, hard. I think. I, I think if you're if you're if you're in the extreme downsizing, then you know, looking around and seeing the team get smaller, and the team, you know, you start thinking, okay, you know, am I at risk? Are other people, are the work I'm going to change at risk? Or, how does this all affect me? And I think for people navigating any sort of you know change in the team around you, whether the person is, especially when they're not leaving voluntarily, the person's being the company is asking the person to leave for whatever reason. There's this, this sense of uncertainty personally. And professionally, that people go through—that's very hard to navigate. And as a leader, and trying to navigate that for your team, it's very—it's very difficult. But you know, keeping people engaged, wanting to do the work, wanting to be excited to on the on the work they're doing, giving their best—is is difficult in those times. Do you think, Quace, that there is a healthy amount of turnover? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think to be frank, I think there is, but what's healthy is a is. Isn't a prescriptive number. I see people say, "Oh, the bottom five percent" or some other, you know, definite number. I don't think that 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 works. But having new ideas, new changes, people who are, you know, um, maybe in a role that where they're just uh, that—that's where they are in their journey. They they can help for these this part of the journey, but they're not the right person for the next part of the journey. Mm-hmm. That to me, there are healthy reasons why that turnover happens. Um, hopefully, it's not just because we can't keep people. No one wants to stay. We're not paying well. It's a bad environment. That's just bad turnover. But if it's, you know, for good reasons, you've got people who are growing and learning, who are getting promotions and roles and jobs outside, or you've got people who are just, you know, we're right to help you from zero to a million dollars, but they're the wrong person to lead marketing from a million to five million. And so there's there's good healthy reasons for change and turnover. I see that argument
1: from a bit business perspective, right? Where there's a a business need for a certain skill set at a certain stage of the company, and then there's potentially a different business need and a different skill set at a different stage of the company how do you think about nap because there's still the human element here right where you're you're working with a person and relationships have been forged with the organization um and so while you know there might be a business argument to make change you know how do you navigate that internally um without impacting ral or is that impossible (laughs) i
0: think honestly i as also was doing it you know Outside of people be leaving for bad reasons, there's. I think anytime someone leaves, there's going to be a, a a a shift in the morale for some period of time. How long that valley is, or how deep that valley goes, is a matter of how you managed it, how you communicated it, how you've managed to fill the gap, and how well that ramp comes back up. But I think that any any as people as humans, it's it's there's always a, a you know a, a, a valley to go through, and so as a company. It's to be. There's no avoiding it. The question is how how quickly can you come out of that and how how, how shallow can you make that value? Because you don't want to go too deep as well. And so that that's I think that takes skill and it takes a lot more attention from the, the people involved, the leaders involved, uh, to make sure that that happens and, and we move through it quickly.
1: Yeah, okay, good thought. It said that replacing an employee can cost anywhere from 25% to 100% of that person's annual salary. Just curious, can you like, why is that the case? And can you break that, break that down a
0: little bit? Where do the costs uh, come from? I think that spectrum for 25 to 100 is probably fair. Depends on the role they're doing, you know, different replacing, um, some roles than other roles. Right. And so if I break down their cost, there's clearly some hard costs. There's recruiting or finding the new person that has real costs to it. Um, and sometimes those costs are obvious in terms of your team's effort to find them. Deciding bonuses and other things that may come along with it—you know, those are easy to quantify. There's a loss of the productivity that happens, not just for that one person's role. I think some people only think, "Oh, we're only losing the person who makes that widget." No, that that loss is actually some effect of the people around them who are also making that widget, or the manager who's got to spend a bit more time finding and replacing, and then ups and then training that new person. And so there are, uh, you know, the hard costs are easier to find. the The, the other costs are not as easier to define. Um, and if this job takes, you know, a certain amount of trained skills so sometimes, you know, let's take a, a company building ships, like you, you can't just hire somebody off and say, Hey, great, go, go weld that hull together. There's certifications and trainings and things that have to go through before they can do that. And so there is hard costs sometimes to having to upskill the next person that you've already invested in the person before.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess depending on the role, it could take three, six, nine,
0: twelve months for someone to truly get up to productivity, right? Right. There's, um, actually, I think there's there's a, a, a shipbuilding company in Vancouver, C um, C Span, and they 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 go through pains in terms of certifying their, the people who are working on those ships. And so having those people turn over and go somewhere else, it's very expensive because you know they've got an entire team on site and a lab where they teach and certify you to do certain things you can't replace those people easily
1: yeah and i guess if you lose somebody and um, their colleagues have to pick up the slack then you know the other people on those team are i guess at greater potential of burning out or or having to say no to other things and so there's some productivity loss and or impact on uh, the greater team and so you know with that how would you quantify the value of retention to other
0: leaders so the value of retention um you should re- uh, identify the value of replacement is easy to do or easier to do what does it cost to replace this person right uh and that one's where both people go they, they, they go with the negative what is the cost to replace The one i love articulating is what's the value of actually engaging them and retaining them what happens if they get better at this or if they're at you know, they've been here for six months. Let's retain them for a year. I get them more productive. And so I look at some of my own clients. Like I have a winery I'm involved with. And they, they they go through seasonal staff. right? And last year we took the approach. Hey, why don't we try to get our seasonal staff. Instead of having a ton of people with two shifts, three shifts. Let's, give them, let's retain them and give them as close to full-time hours as seasonal staff as we can. And during the off-season, if they need hours, let's try to engage them. And what we saw was a tremendous leap in not just the productivity of the people we were retaining, but we didn't need as many people because those people, their skill, like what they were able to do, they could do one and a half of what they were doing before. And so articulating the the improvement is harder to do, but I think it's it's well worth going through that, that exploration. You nailed it. That one took a minute.
1: (laughs) I'm trying to think of the term, you know, when somebody uh, develops this more than sort of like industry knowledge, but they have this specific knowledge of how the company operates and you, you, there's no way, well, you, there might be ways to accelerate that for new hires, but there's no time, nothing beats just spending time at an organization and sort of like learning the nuance of how things operate and knowing knowing A to Z kind of like, Hey, where do we keep the things or where do I go to get this? And
0: like all of that adds up to a more productive, uh, uh team member. So. Yeah. You're you, Joe. You, I, I don't even know if there is a definition out there, but you are bang on on that. Like there is a, there's this point where some people just become this amazing Swiss army knives of just knowing. Right. And so they can just navigate, you know, you're just like throw them in and they know they can navigate and adapt and make something successful happen. Um, invaluable organizations. So there are industries where turnover is historically
1: high, and so is high turnover okay if you're in a traditionally high turnover industry? So, for example, retail or hospitality, or
0: is it still something you should be working to reduce? I think you always have to work to reduce it. Um, the cost of the cost of offboarding, replacing, or hiring and un- and ramping someone is always expensive no matter what 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 your organization or your, you know, the job types are. So I think every organization has to work to minimize the cost of that cycle, right? And then I think, you know, we talked about it for a bit, but um, the imp- increased productivity of someone who's actually been in a job for a while pays off a dividend. So I think, I think no matter what industry you're in, you're trying to reduce that turnover cycle, right? Um, if you're accepting, you're just like, hey, we we'll to just replace them, we'll just replace them maybe there are some roles i'm trying to think of some off the top of my head but like uh, you know lawn lawn care companies replace people a lot right Mm -hmm. but at the same time when you've got some people actually know what they're doing can save you half an hour loading the truck and moving on that's that's still better than replacing people all the time so i i can't see an industry where you wouldn't reduce turnover as much as you could
1: yeah i think of like an industry like retail we have a number of retail clients where i think that some retail organizations approach uh turnover, almost like a mindset where they look at their staff as, well, this is going to be their first job. And so we don't actually anticipate that we're going to keep them very long. And then as a result, they don't necessarily treat their people the way they should be. And it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? Where, well, they're not going to stay around anyway, so why should we do all the extra things? But there are organizations in those industries that are doing things the right way, that are investing in learning development, career growth, and in many instances, they are leading their category. And so I'm, I'm certain and love your thoughts that, you know, I'm certain that there's a, there, there's a correlation there.
0: Yeah, there has to be, right? You, you'll see a lot of these organizations. Let's take fast food McDonald's. Yeah. They go through lengths to make sure people are staying and not just coming in and going out, right? That they've, they've got the science of, of ramping and you know, hiring and ramping, et cetera, down very well. But they have a ton of programs to keep people engaged and wanting to stay. For just that reason, um, you, you want to minimize the cost of that cycle. And retail's no different. I think you know once you've got somebody in retail who knows how to work your point of sale, who knows how to receive your stock, how to how to display your stock on the floor, how to answer customer questions, how to open, how to close. Once you've got all that into someone who knows what they're doing, replacing them with someone else who's going to have no idea how to do half of what I just said. Yeah, It cannot be good for your productivity. You want to keep them.
1: Yeah, I mean, you mentioned uh, McDonald's. It's interesting. They've got McDonald's University. And while I only understand what they're doing at an arm's length, my sense there is that they're showing people a path to career growth, right? So that on day one, that they know that there are stepping stones and they can stay with the organization and, and, and continue to learn and grow. So
0: it's pretty impressive what, what McDonald's has done there, right? Wildly impressive, right? And it took, I think, Someone listening to a podcast like this kind of going, I should retain people more. <laughs> no, but really and truly, somebody had to have that brave conversation being like, I know we're fast food. I know we hire really quickly and people go in and out, but what would happen if we just invested in keeping people, right? And clearly it's been working or they wouldn't continue to make that massive investment in keeping people. Yeah, and we have uh, large retail
1: clients that have connected the dots now, right? They, they, they've they looked at their turnover And they are now asking themselves, well, even though this is somebody's first job, if we can keep that person with us for another 18 months, if another two years, the impact of being able to do that, the impact of doing that is, is tremendous. And so investing in people programs, making sure people feel appreciated, you know, those are, those are, those are programs worth investing in, even in those high turnover industries.
0: Weird random story for you. I was working at a high-tech company. This one I won't name the company, but we had a, a developer who was in high school, right? And he was a he was a killer um, uh, developer. And we went through lengths to keep him. We sent him a limo for prom. He had stock options that vested while he was working and pause vesting when he was in school. Like we did everything. So he knew when you were done school, don't go look for another co-op or intern somewhere. You are coming back, right? And that was, you know, that wasn't necessarily a high turnover situation. That was just because we wanted to retain talent that we knew we were investing in, right? And so sometimes, you know, it goes a little bit out of the box for what people think. Oh, why would we keep them? But if you've got talented people that you want to keep, retain them. And if that means going went out of the box, people are probably thinking right now, you sent a high school kid a limo for prom at the company? Yeah, because we, <laughs> this kid was talented. We wanted him to come back, right? And we knew that the other big ones, the Googles, the et cetera, were going to throw everything they could at them. So we did what we could. We, were, we got out of the side of the box. And, and retaining people like that, like where you've got talented people you want to retain, man, just go after it. I, 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 I've never seen it, you know, maybe it doesn't work out every time, but I've never seen it be like, oh, we're horrible that we've retained that person we thought would be amazing. No, you want to keep them. Yeah, it's a great story. We've done some similar things here at Gusto,
1: honestly. Like we we've... We've had a great track record uh, bringing uh, you know young people into the organization th- through internships and co-ops, and in many instances we identify stars, and so we we see that and you know have done some creative things to ensure that uh, those people know that they've got a career here with us once they graduate, and you know we go above and beyond to uh, to ensure that they're they're sticking with us, um, you know once they once they get their degree and want to come into the workforce full time, so I wholly agree with that strategy. So when people talk about turnover, they don't often focus on the employees who get left behind and the pressure it puts on them. So what strategies can you suggest to
0: support employees in this situation? Yeah, I think this is, um, you know, almost entirely overlooked by most organizations. And sometimes, in fact, a lot of times the organization says, hey, you survived, you're the one who's still here, so be grateful and then just do more work, right? And I think that's the, completely wrong approach like it's, it said should be thrown out the, the door the people who are around the change are the people you need to you know invest in a little bit more at that time you need to speak to them more often as leaders um, recognize them more often than not because they are doing things outside of their c- previous workload that you may know about and sometimes you'd have no clue that they're picking it up you don't know that that report that that person used to do that they're not someone else not doing affects them in some way and so uh, paying attention to the team, talking to them, recognizing the work that they're doing in that time uh, is really important. I talked about the sort of the valley, I said it earlier, um, but that period of time where the colleagues around the person are trying to figure out the work, figure out what the work they looks like, figure out who they're going to go to coffee with in the morning now because that person's not there anymore, the more you can help them go through that valley quickly, the better. Um, and I think as we, as we often forget that that, that, that is um, critical in, 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 in changing morale. Um, you know, what we're talking about companies that are doing downsizing this becomes even, even more important. Um, but just regular changes in the company, it's important to talk to people. I, I think there's nothing more important. I don't, there are lots of HR things you can do in terms of salaries and, you know, um, pay people that for taking on additional work for a period of time and acting things, all that is important, but to me, if they don't actually understand what is happening. What is going to happen to that work? What are they expected to do with that work, and where the end state is? They're ju- they're just left making up their own theories, right? And you don't want to do that. So it it sounds like communication is
1: key when you're going through a restructuring, a downsizing, when you have to let someone go. Keep keeping the people looped in of the why around the decision.
0: Yep. And w- and what you're going to do? Like, are, are we backfilling this role? Or are we are, are we? Am I supposed to just do this job for the next four years while we just take on the savings as the big old bad company that just doesn't have one less one less, ha- less headcount? All of that's important to talk through so the, the employees know what, what's what's going on. What are your thoughts on this sort of concept of giving
1: employees permission to say no, right? Where it's like, if, we, if we're asking you to do something else, we understand that you may have to say no to something else. If, if we're asking, you know, as a company, if we're asking you to do something more... Then we're, we kind of give you permission to say no to something else. What are, what are your thoughts um, around that? Have you
0: heard of this concept? And I've definitely said it a few times. <laughs> I've definitely heard it a few times as well. No bullshit. I think it's a great thing to say, a great thing to, to tell people out loud, and to let them feel empowered to say no. Uh, I think the real conversation is: let's talk about what you can, what we need to take off your plate and have a conscious discussion, you know, decision that we're going to say no. Most employees aren't okay just saying no to things left to their own devices, right? And so I think it's a good thing to say, but I think the, the more productive conversation is, I need you to pick up these four hours of work. I need to find those four hours somewhere else. Let's talk about what we have to take off to find those four hours and do that together. But but I like the saying, it sounds really good. So it's a more of a collaborative uh, approach. Yeah, for sure. Can you imagine like, They'll, somebody else calls you up, the, you're you're in marketing, also the sales team calls you up and says, hey, can you do this after me? You're like, no, my person just left, I'm not doing that for you. Yeah. You're not doing that, right? So uh, I think it's a great concept, but I think in more practically, we have to actually plan the work with people, actually talk about what work we're doing didn't plan it. What do you do to retain your high performers? Are
1: you doing anything different than what you're doing with everyone else? Just love to get your thoughts on that.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've been in some situations, especially in high tech, where, you know, the, the, the broad, you know, theories and talking points will say, you know, everybody's, you know, treat them all the same, and they're all doing a great job. But the truth is, in none of these companies, you're going to have some high performers who are outpacing and have an or have a larger impact to the company. And for for that portion of the team, uh, maybe you're not creating special programs, but you're investing differently. You might be paying at a higher bid, You might be doing bonuses differently. You might be making sure they're on the the product the projects that they maybe want to be more engaged in. But I think. Ignoring the fact that you have high performers that need to be retained in a different way is just um, you know it, it, it would be kind of silly. You 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 have people who are performing, you have high performers. You know who they are; they're easy to name. It doesn't mean you have to go out you know go out and do ridiculous things, but you should invest the time and, and, and effort to keep those high performers because they're very hard to replace. We talk about twenty five percent to one hundred percent cost for replacement. Often, those high performers are even higher. Because they're usually multiplying in other people's work by being high performers as well. So let's, let, let's not be shy about retaining high performers. So is
1: there a way to retain high performers but ensure that you're operating equitably across the organization? Or do you kind of throw that whole equitable concept out the window when we're talking about your, your, your top performers? Or again, is there some, some middle ground there where we're doing things the right way, we're doing right by all of our people? But still, finding ways to go above and beyond for for our top performers.
0: Yeah, I think I think that equitable word gets used to replace the you know to mean equal, and I, I would say it, it, to me it should be fair. You want to treat all your employees fairly, and 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 make sure you're treating them well for the work they're doing. But that doesn't mean because you know the budget allows you to give a two thousand dollar you know increase to one seven employees, but you have a high performer you want to give them a ten thousand dollar increase you've done fair and you've been right by what you see what you can do as the company, then I'm not afraid to give the, the high performer, the, the outstretched number. Um, uh, and for me, that's, that's just a, a function of pay for performance or paying for the work that they're doing. And so I, have been in meetings without equitable words gets used to kind of pull back. and try to say we have to be equal with everyone and that, that I, I, I don't believe really subscribe to that. I say, we have to be fair. If we've done what we think is fair and we think that Bob deserves that $2,000 increase, but we know that Sue has really you know, killed it. She's actually not even just helping Bob, she's helping five other people to be better at their jobs Then pay Sue the extra 10,000 and be fair to the work that they're doing.
1: If you want to build a culture that people won't want to leave, check out Culture is the Ultimate Advantage, our free guide to turning your culture into your company's greatest strength. Thanks for joining us. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to follow us so you don't miss an episode. And don't forget to recognize someone for a job well done today. Mucho gusto.